Hello, everyone, and welcome to the January 25th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney of the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court agreed to decide if the 2018 decision in the landmark Dynamex case applies retroactively. In Dynamex, the Supreme Court held that a worker is an independent contractor if the hiring entry establishes a. that the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer, b. that the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business, and c. that the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business. This is now referred to as the ABC test, and the hiring entity must prove all three criteria. In this new case that followed Dynamax, an employer argued that the general retroactivity principle should not be applied to this case because prior to Dynamax, businesses could not reasonably have anticipated that the ABC test would govern at the time when they classified workers as independent contractors rather than employees. But the Supreme Court rejected this logic in the case of Gerardo Vasquez versus Jan Pro Franchising International Incorporated. And the court concluded that its decision in Dynamex applies retroactively to all non-final cases that predate the effective date of the Dynamex decision. The court held that employers were clearly on notice before the Dynamex decision that the law was not settled in this area. Lowe's Home Centers faces a new multi-million dollar class action for alleged sick pay miscalculation. Last November, a putative class action was filed in Solano County Superior Court by Maria Johnson on behalf of herself and other similarly situated current and former employees of Lowe's. Johnson began working for Lowe's in 2015 and worked in California until her employment as a delivery coordinator ended in October 2020. Her class action alleges four causes of action. One, unpaid sick pay, including derivative penalties for such unpaid sick pay, including waiting waiting time penalties. Two, inaccurate itemized wage statements. Three, unfair or unlawful business practices and four other violations of the labor code. With respect to the first cause of action, plaintiffs allege that, as a matter of policy and practice, Lowe's pays plaintiff and the sick pay class for sick time at the incorrect rate of pay. This is because, she says, Lowe's sick pay benefits at these base hourly rate of pay, and that is what they pay it at, as opposed to the regular rate of pay which would take into account incentives or bonuses. Thus, this claim results in underpayments of sick pay wages. According to Lowe's data, there were nearly 19,000 full-time, non-exempt individuals employed by Lowe's in California who were paid sick pay wages during the time frame of the class action. On January 15, Lowe's filed to remove the case from state to the federal district court for the Eastern District of California. This was on the basis of federal question or diversity jurisdiction. 
Lowe's maintains that this action was improperly filed in state court because the workers agreed to binding individual arbitration of the claims asserted in this action. Lowe's also intends to oppose class certification on other multiple grounds. Lowe said in court documents that if the plaintiffs were to prevail on every claim and allegation in her complaint on behalf of the putative class, the requested monetary recovery would exceed $5 million. In our crime report, in an amazing new predicament, it seems that about 35,000 California prison inmates filed for and received fraudulent unemployment claims while they were in prison. Fed up with the state's inability to probe and manage the aftermath of this multi-billion dollar unemployment fraud fiasco, a California congressman, Representative Josh Harder, is turning to the IRS to protect his constituents. He is warning that a wave of unsuspecting Californians will soon find out they were caught in the massive identity fraud ring that rocked the state during the early stages of the pandemic when they received their tax bill from the federal government for the benefits they did not claim or did not receive. Mr. Harder said that the California Employment Development Department is an absolute catastrophe. California's department in particular has failed miserably under the strain of the pandemic. The problems began shortly after the state's initial lockdown order was issued by Gavin Newsom, as millions of freshly unemployed workers filed for first-time benefits. A massive backlog of pending claims followed, leaving hundreds of thousands without income for months. Criticism flew at the department from every angle, including during emergency legislative sessions last summer. Assemblymember Tom Lakey said last July that he did not think government has ever looked more broken than it has right now over this problem. Acting on tips from employees with, within California jails and prisons, investigators uncovered a massive unemployment fraud scheme being perpetuated by the inmates. According to local and federal prosecutors, at least 35,000 California inmates filed for unemployment from March through August. Benefits were not only sent to death row inmates, but applicants such as Diane Feinstein as a sitting U.S. Senator. One district attorney reported that, quite frankly, the inmates are mocking us. The next month, police busted a ring in Beverly Hills during which 44 people were arrested and more than $2.5 million in unemployment benefits in the form of pre-loaded debit cards were seized. The full extent of the fraud is still undetermined, but investigators say it is likely the state paid out over $8 billion in fraudulent claims since last March. 45-year-old Jose Cepeda, who lives in Fresno, self-surrendered on multiple felony counts of insurance fraud and attempted perjury after filing a workers' compensation claim and allegedly misleading the insurance carrier regarding his employment status. Cepeda was injured in 2017 while employed by a local construction company. 
He began collecting disability benefits because his employer could not accommodate his work restrictions. In 2018, surveillance footage showed Zepeda regularly commuting to and from another construction company as an apparent employee. He was later asked by a claims adjuster and in a deposition if he had found new employment. He told the claims adjuster he had not found new employment and responded in the deposition that he only worked for the new employer for one week in 2018. But then subpoenaed employment records revealed that Cepeda began working for his new employer in April 2018 and was still employed there at the time of the subpoena in March 2019. His actions allowed him to collect over $17,000 in disability benefits he was not entitled to receive. Zepeda self-surrendered to the Fresno County Jail and is scheduled to be arraigned on March 15. Former Ventura County firefighter, 34-year-old Perry Adam Lieber of Santa Barbara, was sentenced to 90 days in jail and 24 months of felony probation after pleading guilty to felony workers' compensation fraud. Victim agencies York Risk Services and the County of Ventura sustained losses in excess of $186,000. Fire Chief Mark Lorenzen of the Ventura County Fire Department said Lieber resigned from the agency last March. In addition to the jail sentence, Lieber was immediately ordered to pay $100,000 in victim restitution and $30,000 in fines. The court also ordered multiple financial accounts controlled by Lieber that were previously frozen by the court to be liquidated to satisfy its order. A hearing relating to additional restitution still owed to the victim agencies is scheduled for March 4. And in regulatory news, the National Council on Compensation Insurance just published its quarterly economics briefing for the fourth quarter of 2020. The big four service sectors, leisure and hospitality, retail trade, professional business and other services, and education and health services account for about four out of five jobs lost as a result of the pandemic. In general, the big four service sectors are characterized by high physical proximity, low essentiality, or both. The leisure and hospitality sector continues to be the hardest hit, with two out of five lost jobs coming from this sector alone. Restaurants lost employment from October to December following six consecutive months of employment increases. One half of restaurant operators expect staffing levels to decline from December through February. And employment recovery stalled during the fourth quarter, including a reversal in December following a massive pandemic resurgence. As the coronavirus recession persists, stresses for households and businesses have increased. Small businesses contribute a big share of U.S. jobs as one-quarter of U.S. workers are employed at firms with fewer than 50 employees and one-half at firms with fewer than 500 employees. Small businesses also contribute to workers' compensation premium in greater proportion relative to their employment 
because they are less likely than large businesses to self-insure and more likely to purchase non-deductible policies. The coronavirus recession has been hard on small businesses, especially those in service sectors most impacted by reduced demand. A U.S. Census survey from early December found that the 31% of U.S. small businesses had experienced a large negative pandemic effect. And for small businesses in various big four service sectors, this percentage ranged from 30 to nearly 70%. The study concluded that the coronavirus pandemic has galvanized remote work. While only 6% of the workforce was full-time remote before the pandemic, an estimated 24% worked from home in December. Several surveys recently conducted found that most workers able to work from home would like to continue to do so after the pandemic, at least part-time. And employer acceptance of remote work also increased during the pandemic. However, a review of recent research concludes that 60% or more of U.S. workers cannot work remotely. As a general observation, occupations most easily adapted to remote settings involve tasks that can be performed on a computer, the Internet, or by telephone. It is increasingly clear that the post-COVID economy will be different than the pre-COVID economy and changes affecting labor markets are also likely to affect workers' compensation in a number of ways. The slowing rate of job recovery and increasing share of permanent layoffs suggest that total workers' compensation premium, since it's based on payroll, is likely to recover more slowly during 2021 than during the summer and fall of 2020. In 2012, SB 863 included Independent Bill Review, or IBR, which went into effect January 1, 2013. IBR is believed to be an efficient, non-judicial process for resolving medical treatment and medical legal billing disputes in those situations where the medical provider disagrees with the amount paid by a claims administrator on a properly documented bill after a second review. And this month, the DWC posted a progress report on the department's independent bill review program. In 2018 and 2019, a similar number of IBR applications was received by the Independent Bill Review Organization, or IBRO. The numbers were 1,692 and 1,644, respectively. These are the best two years since the first year of the program in which application filings fell below 2,000. In 2018, one in three applicants was a provider based in the San Francisco Bay Area, that's 34.9%, and one in four, 26.6%, practiced in Los Angeles County. Now in 2019, Nearly half the applications, at 48.7%, were from Bay Area providers, and applications from Los Angeles fell 25% from the previous year. Approximately one in four IBR applications is determined to be ineligible for review. Ineligibility factors include untimely requests, requests made prior to a completion of a second review, 
and requests made without a payment of the required fee. Among the filings that received a review and a case determination in 2018, 47% were overturned, meaning the IBRO determined that additional reimbursement was warranted. This was now lower than in 2019 when 59.1% of the case determinations were overturned. Overturned IBR case decisions for applications filed in 2018 and 2019 resulted and the reimbursement to the providers totaling nearly $4 million, including the repayment of the filing fees for these cases. The current filing fee remains set at $195. The report is posted on the DIR website. And in other industry news, Arthur J. Gallagher and Company announced the acquisition of San Diego-based Atlas General Insurance Services. The terms of the transaction were not disclosed. Atlas General Insurance Services began in 2009 with a niche focus on California workers' compensation. The company has grown strategically over the past seven years, becoming a national enterprise across numerous territories and diversifying its portfolio of product offerings. Atlas now offers a broad commercial products line as well as a division dedicated to specialty property needs. Mike Matthews, Charles Lasher, and their associates will remain in their current location under the direction of Gallagher's President of Risk Placement Services. Mike Matthews is responsible for the development and national distribution of the Workers' Compensation Division. Prior to working at Atlas, Matthews led program development and distribution at Arrowhead General Insurance Agency in the Workers' Compensation Division. He has over 20 years of industry experience with a multi-line underwriting background from Ohio Casualty and Liberty Mutual. Matthews also served as Marsh's Workers' Compensation Practice Leader for 10 years. And Charles Lasher is responsible for the development and oversight of Atlas General's commercial division. Charles came to Atlas in 2015 and has built products, managed programs, and national distribution for the commercial division. Charles has over 15 years of experience in the insurance industry. Arthur J. Gallagher & Company is a global insurance brokerage, risk management, and consulting services firm. It is headquartered in Rolling Meadows, Illinois. The company has operations in 49 countries and offers client service capabilities in more than 150 countries around the world through a network of correspondent brokers and consultants. And that is all of our news and events for this short week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcasts, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.